When you think you've seen everything If I were living in days like these And say you only take what you bring Maybe that's just the way they speak Know that I would do Something that I can't see. Everybody just chased by dreams. That's why we're living in days like these again.
Hi everybody. Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it is Friday, August 20th, 2021. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are broadcasting from Muni Radio. We are in San Francisco and we are on the ancestral homeland of the Ramatouche Ohlone peoples. And for more information, please go to ramatouche.org and that's R A M A Y T U S H.org and you can donate. Uh, there's a general donation button and or you can also donate to the Unikin land tax so please do check that out also if you go to weeklyrev.org and click on our land acknowledgement tab we've got a lot of links there with much more information so please do go on over and uh, check out those links ah <sighs> uh grateful to be here today uh yeah oof. uh sometimes uh well welcome to the show perhaps you are a longtime listener perhaps you're listening for the first time um either way grateful to have you listening the show uh, contains music, anti-capitalist news. I rant a little bit because there's a lot to uh, be frustrated and angry and sad about. And uh, that's that's it. Have interviews sometimes. Uh, we don't have an interview today on the show. Um, however, we will have lots of information and also ways to help out because it's. I feel like, and perhaps I'm I'm sure I'm, sure I'm repeating myself here, but if you open your eyes and and or uh, are aware. I'd say, yeah, if you're aware of what's happening in the world, I'll put it that way. If you're aware of what's happening in the world, uh, it feels uh, backwards and upside down and ridiculous and unfair and unjust. And there are so many things that don't need to be happening that are causing great harm to many people and the planet and animals, etc. And sometimes it feels like it's a Sisyphean task to do anything about it to to push back against that when there are systems that have been in power and in place since before any of us were born and uh, the powers that be continue to just try to grab up as many resources as possible and uh, so many folks are struggling to survive and take care of loved ones and there's not been any time to grieve at all or perhaps there has been the time but we haven't been allowed that time to grieve because so many folks are just struggling to stay alive so it's really difficult to uh, continue to go on, and I wanted to give voice to that. So one part of this show is providing ways that folks can show up, and there are so many different ways that folks can do that, regardless of who you are and where you are. There are ways um, one can help make the world a little bit better, and by helping out others, uh, in turn, end up helping yourself too. Start off with some music, as we usually do. The first song was kind of a downer, but I really like it. It's a new song by the band Low called Days Like These. And then a song that's, uh, I don't want to say it was a simpler time, because the 80s are pretty fucked up, too, in a different way. Uh, Space Age love song by Flock of Seagulls. You know, just throwing a lot of things out there. And the way I select the music oftentimes is throughout the week, if I hear music that I like, I kind of will either get a screenshot of it or shazam it or write it down or add it to a playlist and then when Friday rolls around, I just click on that playlist. And uh, sometimes I order it a little bit differently than others. But this is how it was today. So we'll be playing some more music throughout the show. So if any of the news gets you down too much, know that there's some good music and some uplifting music uh, that's coming up. And I know that helps me out a lot. Oh, um, I don't have any rants. I mean, I'm sure I do. And I'll get to them at some point. But I'm, I'm slowly just kind of adjusting to the day. As it were, so I wanted to start off with some news. And this is from CARE California, and that's C A I R, and you can find more information at ca.cair.com. And this is the uh, Afghanistan Community Advisory. 
and wanted to share just some information from uh, CARE. Uh, we express solidarity with the uh, American Afghan community. We call on the Biden administration to do everything possible to both welcome Afghan refugees to the United States while protecting Afghan civilians in Kabul amid the evacuation of American citizens, permanent residents, and visa holders. If you have a family member or friend who is in danger in Afghanistan, we recommend that you reach out to your local member of Congress, and they provide a link where you can find your representative. Currently, there are a few ways to seek safety there are a few ways to seek safety and assistance from the U.S. government. It depends on the individual status. The situation is evolving rapidly, which may affect how up-to-date this information is. Below identify some options. U.S. citizens, lawful permanent residents, green card holders, individuals in possession of an immigrant visa, IV, or certain individuals who have a pending IV. Uh, individuals under this category seeking assistance to depart Afghanistan may register to receive assistance from the U.S. Embassy here and they provide a link to a repatriation assistance request. The form should be completed for each traveler in their group. The form should only be completed once for each traveler and should be completed as soon as possible. The purpose of the form is to gather names of those who need immigrant visa appointments and those who wish to utilize any repatriation options, including assistance with repatriation flights, the State Department advises not to cancel booked commercial flights as they cannot guarantee charter flights will be available. Those with pending applications may consider applying for humanitarian parole, see below, which may be faster than waiting for the embassy to issue a visa. For Afghans that have been employed on behalf of the U.S. government, U.S.-based NGOs, and U.S.-based media organizations, Special Immigration Immigrant Visa, SIV, is a type of visa for Afghans that have been employed for a minimum of one year between October 7th, 2001 and December 31st, 2023 by the U.S. government. Applicants must also have experienced or be experiencing an ongoing serious threat as a consequence of their employment. Afghan nationals who are eligible for the SIV program who have not yet done so are encouraged to submit one complete application package to the National Visa Center Afghan SIV application at state.gov to facilitate processing in an expeditious manner. Individuals with approved SIV applications should contact NVCSIV at state.gov and a congressional office to seek evacuation assistance. For more information on SIV applications, visit the State Department and the International Refugee Assistance Project websites, and they provide links. The Afghan P2 program allows Afghan nationals to be considered for refugee resettlement based on work for U.S. government agencies, U.S.-based NGOs, and U.S.-based media organizations. The P2 program does not accept applicant self-referrals. Referrals must be made by the senior-most U.S. citizen employee of the media organizations, or NGOs headquarters in the United States. For more information on the P2 program, please visit IRAP and State Department websites. For Afghans that have U.S. citizen, lawful permanent residents, or refugee relatives in the U.S., if you have an Afghan spouse, parent, sibling, or child, and you are a U.S. citizen, permanent resident, refugee, or asylee, you may be able to file a petition for an immigrant visa for your relative. For more information for U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents, see form um, I-130 for refugees and asylees, see form I-730. This process can take several months or years. If your relatives are in immediate danger, you may consider requesting humanitarian parole, see below. Contact uh, R, which is C-A-A-R dash C-A's immigrants 
right center or an immigration attorney to get a consultation and more information about this process. For Afghans who fear persecution from the Taliban or any group in Afghanistan, if you suffered or fear serious harm by the Taliban or any group that the government is unable to protect you from based on your race, nationality, religion, political opinion, or a particular social group, you should seek safety at the nearest refugee camp and register with a designated non-governmental organization, NGO, or the UN as a refugee. If you are in the U.S., you may apply for asylum, contact C uh, CARE CA's Immigrants Rights Center, or an immigration attorney to get a consultation and more information about this process. If you can make it to a port of entry at the U.S. border, you can apply for asylum. For Afghans seeking entry to the U.S. for urgent humanitarian reasons, humanitarian parole may be an option. Humanitarian parole can be requested by someone outside of the U.S. who is seeking temporarily, temporary entrance to the U.S. for urgent humanitarian reasons. To be eligible, you have to establish, one, that you will go back to Afghanistan when it is safe, or two, how you plan to regularize status in the U.S. This could refer to information about a pending or soon-to-be-filed petition by your qualifying family member, on your behalf, intentions to apply for asylum, etc. If you can reach a third country, an application for humanitarian parole can be made at the U.S. Embassy. Afghan citizens are eligible for e-visas to Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and Kyrgyzstan, and they may enter the following countries without a visa, Antigua and Barbuda, uh, it's an e-visa, uh, Benin, Carpe Verde, uh, Comoros, Dominica, Ethiopia, Maldives, uh, Qatar. For uh, more information on the humanitarian parole process, they provide a link, and they also say you can contact the CARE Immigrants Rights Center or an immigration attorney to get a consultation and more information about this process. It is recommended that anyone trying to travel around Afghanistan to wipe their phones so that they have no social media or other files that would provoke the Taliban. Travelers should travel light with just what they need for kids, food, and medicines, lines are extremely long at airports. Should you need more information, please contact CARE San Francisco Bay Area, and they provide a link, uh, bit.ly forward slash CARE SFBA immigration. So that's a lot of information, and we'll be providing a link to all this on our page at weeklyrev.org, or you can go directly to uh, ca.car.com. And later on in the show, I'll also be reading another there's a Twitter thread about other things that folks can do because I know this is very specialized information and perhaps I'll just go to that information right now since I am talking about it and it is a lot. So I wanted to let's see here, um, um, share this thread, which we'll also post on our website. And this is um, Sadia Dar. You can follow on Twitter at S A H D. Y-A-D-A-R-R, and Sadia says, uh, here's a list I've compiled of some of the tweets I've come across on how you can support Afghans. And this was on August 16th, so this was from four days ago. So one is that you can donate airline miles to those who have legal approval to travel but cannot afford airfare. You can also donate to help mitigate fees associated with flights. And um, there's a website called miles for the number 4 migrantsorg uh, you can also donate to uh, Rukshana Media, and that's R-U-K-H-S-H-A-N-A -A Media, a journal, a journalist group started by Afghan women who are doing amazing reporting. Uh, there's also, uh, you can share this tweet for Afghan human rights defenders who have questions on deleting their digital history. And there's also a thread, um, Bushra Abadi, 
on some of the things you can do to support Afghanistan and its people and what you should avoid doing. Um, one thing here listed instead, follow and amplify the voices, work and initiatives of Afghan activists, leaders, journalists, artists, and researchers is one thing. And there's plenty more things listed as well. Listen to and read what Afghans are saying and amplify their voices. There's a thread by Sana Almia, and that's uh, S-A-N-A-A-A-L-I-M-I-A. Um, uh, contains some of the best English language scholars on Afghanistan and the best diaspora that go beyond the usual tropes. And again, this is on Twitter, I should have mentioned. So this is where I found this information. And you can also donate to Sahar Speaks, which is S A H A I. S-A-H-A-R underscore speaks, an organization nurturing Afghan female reporters. And for folks in the UK, lobby your MP, ask them to push for more safe and legal routes to the UK. And there's a resource that's created by um, jcwi.org.uk. And you can also donate to, um, it's E-H-T-E-S, a BAF, an Afghan-based startup that keeps Kabul residents updated and informed about what's going on and sending them security alerts. And also, if you live in the UK and have a spare sofa bed or living room or space, you can sign up with at Refugees at Home. We'll connect you to people who are refugees and asylum seekers in need of shelter. So this is... Uh, and then also, a lot of other folks have also... Um, replied to this thread and have shared other information from other parts of the world. So this is a very helpful resource. So again, um, we'll be sharing this on our website at weeklyrev.org and or you can find the thread on Twitter um, shared by Sadia Dar, and that's again at S-A-H-D-Y-A-D-A-R-R. -R. And this was on August 16th around 12.49 a.m. it was shared. So lots of information wanting to get that out there. Okay, deep breath. Oh, my water's, uh, I have a bottle of water, but it's out there. Speaking of water, oh, uh, droughts, uh, billionaires trying to buy up all the water. That's bad news. Um, but yikes, that's not a story. Just, uh, just, uh, just sharing what's going on in the world. Is it time already for another music break? Usually I've ranted by now, and perhaps that'll come up a little bit later in the show and it's not that there's not enough to be angry about it's just uh oh a lot to sit with so i'm gonna play some more music and we'll be back in a bit so please do stay tuned Have you forgotten when 
was a time when false information wasn't so rampant in the sphere. There was a time when you weren't questioning everything you hear. Do you remember? being advertised a life commercialized and disguised as happiness and pills and potions fancy threads and cars in motion hypnotized by gilded lies to line the pockets of so few while hungry politicians feed bullshit to the masses to ensure their status as it further divides the classes Revolution. 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 
whistles flash flash eyes from behind the bar whistles fuck me a song called right round the clock by a band called sorry and when i had initially did a screen cap when i heard it on the current i couldn't quite remember if the band's name was sorry or it was right around the clock uh one of those situations but yeah interesting song before that we heard seeds of spring by the new yorkers before that revolution by heartless bastards next up i'm going to read an op-ed and this is from a site called the revelator i hadn't uh, heard of them before you can find more information at therevelator.org. 
Uh, to save the planet, we need to end corporate funding of police. So, of course, that headline got my attention. Uh, those fighting to protect the planet face intense police repression that's funded by private corporations. This is an op-ed that came out on August 16th, written by Shay Lebo. This summer, we've been we've seen the bootleg fire rage through Oregon. East coasters have been breathing West Coast smoke. Massive floods have slammed towns from Germany to China. The town of Lytton, British Columbia, burned to the ground. These disasters give a new sense of urgency to transition away from the fossil fuels that are causing this climate chaos. That's the good news. The bad news is that the movement fighting for this transition is running up against an intense police police repression funded by private corporations as well as the federal government. And the author says that they uh, saw some of this firsthand. And so from now on in the article, when I say the word I, that'll be from the author's, uh, from the author's voice. Uh, this June, I was one of the thousands who converged in northern Minnesota for the treaty people gathering to protest the Line 3 tar sands pipeline. Tar sands are one of the dirtiest and most carbon-intensive fuel sources on the planet. The pipeline also violates the treaty rights of the local Anisha, Anishin Abe people, threatening their water supply and sacred wild rice beds. The, tr- the treaty people gathering kicked off a summer of protests against the pipeline. Unfortunately, these nonviolent protests have been brutally cracked down on. Over 500 protesters have been arrested or issued citations so far. While I was there, uh, demonstrators were hounded by a Border Patrol helicopter flying close to the ground, kicking up dust and disorienting protesters. Police attacked protesters with a long-range acoustic device, LRAD, and built a physical barricade outside a pipeline resistance camp on private property, preventing vehicle access. Although the police claimed to quote-unquote protect and serve, haha, we all know that's a joke, uh, the communities, and that was my own, uh, my own words in there, the communities they work in, these uh, confrontational militarized responses would indicate the opposite. It's disappointing, but not surprising. Enbridge, the pipeline operator, is directly funding many Minnesotan police departments. The Line 3 construction permit requires Enbridge to create a quote-unquote public safety escrow account uh, that allows Minnesota police to seek reimbursement for services, including maintaining the peace in and around the construction site. This incentivizes more arrests as the police can bill Enbridge for any activity related to suppressing Line 3 resistance. The escrow account provides funding for police personal protective equipment, and that's in quotations, and they also have a link to that, um, uh, which includes batons, shields, and gas masks. Uh, police have also submitted invoices for tear gas grenades, tear gas projectiles, and beanbag rounds. Uh, imagine, like, I, I had a job. I'm just going to take a moment away here and uh, reflect. I had a job back when I was in my 20s and I was a, an executive assistant and I remember doing expense reports for my bosses, which was like, prob- it was just problematic in, its, in itself, but never did I have to try to have them reimbursed for their fucking weapons. How fucking abysmal is this? And uh, they in the article, they include a, a tweet from Honor the Earth, which is at Honor the Earth. The level of brutality that was unleashed on us was very extreme, says indigenous lawyer and activist Tara Huska, who suffered bloody welts after she was shot with rubber bullets, then arrested and held in Pennington County. Hashtag stop line three at POTUS, who, and we all know how I, well, maybe you don't know, but uh, personally not a fan of any of the presidents we've had ever, nor do I 
uh, believe they will be doing anything in order to help the people or do anything to actually help uh, protect the planet because that would mean going against fossil fuels and going against uh, the militarized cops and going against corporations. And perhaps I'm wrong. I would, again, I would love to be wrong about these things. That would be great. I'd rather, I would love to be wrong and living in a world where uh, people helped each other and people do help each other. I should say it's more the, uh, the powers that be, I should say the powers that be decided to use their platform and their, uh, their overreach, I would say, and perhaps make sure these are doing everything in their power to ensure that people are protected and people are safe. So I'll ping that out there in the universe. Make that happen. It's not that easy, I know. Uh, so there's a link from a Democracy Now! article, and I'm going to go back to the article here. Uh, funding police violence against nonviolent protests should cross a line, but it's not just corporations. The federal government does it too. The federal 1033 program transfers surplus military equipment to local police departments free of charge. Why can't they uh, offer food free of charge or housing or health care or clothing or things that people actually fucking need? Ugh. The equipment has been repeatedly used by local police departments to violently suppress racial justice protests in places like Ferguson, Minneapolis, and Kenosha. The 1033 program also likely supplied the helicopters, assault rifles, excavators, and mine-resistant armor-protected vehicle that violently suppressed the Standing Rock protests in 2016. Hubbard County, Minnesota, where hundreds have been arrested, has received hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of military equipment from the 1033 program, including M16 and M14 assault rifles and a mine-resistant armor-protected vehicle. The simultaneous occurrence of this summer's intense climate-related weather events and this severe crackdown on anti-pipeline activists is deeply troubling. The development of more fossil fuel infrastructure, such as Line 3, will only worsen our climate catastrophe. But while the anti-pipeline movement is trying to save the planet, militarized, corporate-funded police forces are making that as difficult as possible. In order to protect our environment, we must demilitarize the police. That means ending the 1033 program and getting corporate money out of police departments. The fate of our planet depends on it. And uh, this op-ed was distributed by Other Words. And again, uh, the author is uh, Shay Libo, and that's uh, first name is S H E A, last name is L E I B O W. And we'll provide a link to this um, on our page. And it says uh, Shay is a next leader on the National Priorities Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. So that was very informative. <sighs> yeah. I mean, just think of all the money. And I think this also just goes back to the earlier stories about Afghanistan and what's happening there and how the U.S. has decided to just, in its history, the militarization and spending money on war, which causes harm everywhere um, while people are, are starving here. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. Maybe uh, uh, I don't think I ever wanted to be in, in politics per se, but just probably pretty much have to say everything's fucking stupid and people are liars and uh i don't know uh, if there's much room for for that type of language because too many people want to defend the status quo i guess all right um hmm. got a couple more stories here not not too many but i did want to share well this will be a nice segue um so i recently read an op-ed and i thought next up 
I would read from Code Pink, which is a great organization to follow and support. Um, helping put together this workshop for young folks, high school and college age, about how to write op-eds. Young and radical voices need to be heard in mainstream media. So this is an op-ed workshop with Code Pink's Carly Town and Danica Katovich. Uh, this is September 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And I'm going to click on the link here. And I'll also, as with other things I've mentioned on the show, we'll share a link on our website. Uh, an op-ed, short for opposite, uh, opposite the editorial page, or as a uh, backronym, the opinions and editorials page, is a written prose piece typically published by a newspaper or magazine which expresses the opinion of an author usually not affiliated with the publication's editorial board. Plenty of articles are written advocating for war, Pentagon, but Pentagon, Pentagon, <laughs> Ugh, Pentagon budget increases and all around detrimental policies that harm our well-being and the earth. Anti-imperialists are creative, brave, and our ideas need to be heard in the mainstream media. Op-eds are an amazing tool for us, and this workshop will cover the basics of writing an op-ed. Following the workshop, we will do an exercise talking about 9-11 and filling out the Washington Post's form asking readers how 9-11 changed their worldview. So this is happening um, September 1st. It's 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific time. It's on Zoom, so as long as you have internet access, you can, um, uh, you can, you can do it. And so far, 12 people have RSVP'd. Um, I think this is super awesome. And we'll be sharing a link again on our website, or you can go directly to codepink.org and find it there. But yeah, that sounds awesome. And next up, ooh, just going through, there's um, another uh, event I wanted to, oh, maybe that's not quite up yet. Okay, so that's it for now, as far as the events go, although there's plenty, oh, here we go. Yes, um, this is an event that's happening um, August 21st, which is tomorrow. Um, a closeted Syrian-American trans boy sheds his birth name and searches for a new one. Led by his mother's ghost, he uncovers silences kept by his community and within himself. So um, Zen, Jukadar, and I apologize uh, if I've mispronounced names on this show. I know that's something I need to continue to work on. Um, uh, this person reads from the 30 Names of Night, August 21st, uh, 1 p.m. via Zoom. And you can link at perfect, perfectlyqueersf at gmail.com. And um, we'll share, I guess I think that's about it. Um, I believe this would be, um, I'm going to follow this person on Twitter so I can get more information. And... Um, Oh, yeah, so you can find his uh, page at Zane Jukadar, and that's Z-E-Y-N-J-O-U-K-H-A-D-A-R.com. And, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. So we'll provide a link to that on our page. Okay. <sighs> oh, and then I'm just... Um, scrolling down here and from the nation i see um from august 17th texas republicans have voted to remove susan b anthony caesar chavez and martin luther king jr's i have a dream speech and letter from a birmingham jail from texas social studies curriculum uh, which is fucking awful Oy. okay uh oof. all right i'm gonna take a music break and i'm gonna put together some a few more things for the rest of the show and uh, continue on with uh, the playlist here.
I've got your picture that you gave to me. And it's signed with love, just like it used to be. The only thing different, the only thing new. I've got your picture, she's got you. I've got the records that we used to share. And they still sound the same as when you were here. The only thing different, the only thing new. I've got the records, she's got you. I've got your memory, or has it got me? your class ring that proved your care and it still looks the same as when you gave it dear the only thing different the only thing new I've got these little things she's got you That proved you cared And it still looks the same As when you gave it dear The only thing different The only thing new I've got these little things She's got you
Hi. Welcome welcome back. Uh, that was Mare by Rodrigo Amarante. Before that, we heard Welcome by, by Isaac Hayes. And before that, She's Got You by Patsy Klein. And I found a uh, interview I thought I'd share. It's from NPR, A Multi-Generational Tale of Syrian Americans, from the uh, the book mentioned uh, The 30 Names of Night by Zayn Jukadar. And I thought I would share this. And this was from NPR on All Things Considered. So uh, let's take a listen. And uh... I'm Zane Jukhadar, and I'm the author of The 30 Names of Night. This book is about Nadar, who is a young trans guy coming of age in New York City. He's Arab American and he's Muslim, and he's also searching for a new name at the start of the book. Um, and so he erases his birth name at the start of every chapter as he searches for a new one. Um, he's also trying to unravel the mystery of his mother's death five years before, and she was an ornithologist who was killed in an Islamophobic hate crime. As he's searching for answers about her, he's also searching for his own history, and also in some ways the history of the Syrian American community in New York City. And so he goes to the neighborhood of Little Syria in Manhattan, which is a neighborhood that not many people know the history of, including me, um, even as somebody who was from New York, it was something I found out about much later. This neighborhood, um, was actually demolished, mostly demolished in the 1940s to build the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. But there was um, a very big community there of Arab American immigrants from what is, mostly from what is now Lebanon, as well as Syria and other parts of the Levant. And um, in this uh, now very reduced neighborhood, there's only a few buildings left, Nadir finds the notebook of a Syrian-American bird artist named Leila Z, who vanished more than half a century ago. And he discovers that Leila Z, just before her disappearance, saw the same mysterious rare bird that his own mother saw just before her death. And so to me, what was really important with this book was one, to represent on the page the complexity of, and richness and beauty and joy of queer and trans people of color, and also to talk about those queer and trans ancestors and elders that um, we may not know the histories of, but we do know that there were always queer and trans people in our communities and that they led full and joyful lives and that they had their own loves and their own adventures and their own stories that should be celebrated um, and should be remembered. So that was quite informative. Um, next up, I wanted to share um, from KPFA. Uh, there tends to be a, a low vaccination rate among cops. And uh, that was covered on um, up front on KPFA back um, a few days ago on the 17th of August. So I did want to share that. So let's see if we can bring up the time. It looks like at 34 minutes. Let's get this uh, set up. And also, while I'm working on getting this all set up, I did want to share that there uh, something else is happening tomorrow as well, which is August 21st. A lot's happening. So um, let me just pull up the article here. And this will be um, in solidarity with prisoners uh, around the country, um, both August uh, 21st and 
September 9th. I'm going to bring up, I've been meaning to share this on the show and uh, have not yet done so. So let's um, bring up for, um, so jailhouse lawyers speak. So this is a shut them down at 2021. So that's a, what they call the hashtag. If you uh, want to search for that, all one word, shut them down 2021. So this is uh, August 21st and September 9th. Uh, let me read a bit about this. Uh, in an interview from The Final Straw Radio with Comrade Chu, a member of the Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, JLS is an autonomous network of incarcerated activists. Ooh, let's see. If they have this, um, if they have the audio, I'll just play the audio. And if not, I will read the... Um, ah, yes. Ooh, interesting. The Final Straw Radio, a weekly anarchist radio show. Ooh, I like it. So let's see. I'd rather just uh, share directly... Um, from the source. Oh, this is 57 minutes. So I'll start by playing this and. Syrian uh... broadcast and podcast emanating out of occupied Jalagi land in southern Appalachia. We bring you voices from struggles for liberation from all around the world. Welcome. This week on the show, I spoke with Comrade Chucks, a member of Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. JLS is an autonomous network of incarcerated activists from across the so-called U.S. They've engaged in organizing and calling for the 2016 and 2018 nationwide prison strike activities. Nux and I chat about the call for this year for folks on the outside to engage for abolition on August 21st and September 9th. We talk about abolition, Black August, and other topics. You can learn more by following JLS on Twitter and Instagram or by checking their website, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. That is lawyer singular dot wordpress dot com. You can also find out there about their fundraising efforts, the JLS Mother's Day fundraising effort in particular, through Blackstone Career Institute to sponsor paralegal courses for people in women's prisons and uh, prisoners they're supporting, as well as other topics. Chucks also mentions, which we'll put links in the show notes, uh, the case of Reverend Joy Powell, as well as the firing of. Uh, University of Mississippi professor Garrett Ferber for critiquing the university's connection to profiteering and carceration. Comrade Chucks also mentions the initiative Amend the 13th, which can be more can be found about that at amendthe13th.org. And I mentioned at one point the National Freedom Movement, um, which has a call for one million families for parole rally on April 3rd across the country with the demands the federal parole be immediately reinstated and for the creation of a mandatory parole criteria and curriculum based on the specific educational, rehabilitative, and re-entry needs of every parole-eligible person. Also, some of the groups that... Some of the outside groups... Also, some of the outside groups that Comrade Chucks suggests folks look up and get involved with include Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement, which can be found online, Ram NYC, Ram Inland Empire, Ram Philly, a bunch of other chapters. There's also New York City, Anarchist Black Cross, LA, Anarchist Black Cross Federation, Blue Ridge ABC. There's a bunch of Anarchist Black Cross prisoner support and defense groups around the country. Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee or IWOC has chapters around the country. There's also Oakland Abolition and Solidarity. Critical Resistance is another abolitionist formation that could be found. There's a bunch of them that we'll be listing in the show notes. So if you're looking for a place to get involved and you don't have a group in your area that you know about, this will hopefully make searching out a little bit easier to crew up with some folks. 
as a couple of announcements, there's a weekly call-in to support incarcerated anarchist Julio Comradzi Zuniga at Darrington Unit in Texas. Supporters are invited to call The Prison Show on KPFT Radio in Houston at 713-526-5738, Mondays after 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, to give a shout-out to E-Line and B-Line Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee members standing in solidarity with Comrade Z and all of the incarcerated folks at Darrington. There's an image in our show notes for social media, also suggesting that people keep the message short and sweet under 15 seconds. You can find more writings by Comrade Z at Monger's Distro and at hashtag Prison Kills and also an interview with him up on our website. There is an effort, a petition currently, to bring Sundiata Akoli home. Uh, that is pressing the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, to grant release for this elder of the black liberation struggle and political prisoner who's 84 years old and has contracted COVID-19. At his advanced age, Sundiata has developed dementia and has ailing health and is not posing a threat to anyone. He should be allowed to live out his days outside of the prison walls with family and community. More on the petition can be found in our show notes. And also a reminder that at freemumia.com, you can find out more information about the struggle to release this also aging and ailing political prisoner, journalist, elder, author, and revolutionary. First up, could you please introduce yourself to the audience with whatever name, affiliation, preferred gender pronouns, location, or other information that you think is useful for the audience? For sure. Um, my name is Comrade Chuck. The pronouns you can use is just they, them. I'm a member of Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, and I guess I just want to say I'm in the carceral state. Uh, for those who don't know, who is JLS, what are its goals, and what are its inspirations and aspirations? So, JLS is an autonomous, anonymous group of prisoners that are also organizers and jailhouse lawyers, actually. You know, um, a little bit of the history is JLS started as jailhouse lawyers, and then... Um, one thing led to another, and through these networks and connections, we actually started create this inside federation almost, right? So JLS has become this movement, you know, it's not just, you know, now when people hear JLS, it's tied to so many things like the 2016 inside nationwide protest, followed by the 2018 protest, followed by now the special rapporteur, that's going on in the UN, and there's a lot of other initiatives like the Amendment 13 initiative that GLS has signed on and is supporting to get released to all political prisoners. The idea of GLS is also these 10 demands. There's 10 demands that you can find on any GLS platform, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and these are what GLS stands for. Every state is also autonomous and has their own needs of that state. However, here, in the broad scale of Northern Turtle Island, this is what we demand, this is what we stand for, and this is why we protest. So, JLS has always gotten inspirations from the comrade George Jackson, from Fred Hampton, from even nowadays, these different autonomous groups, these autonomous organizations. Every person, every revolutionary, every organizer that has existed and moved for decolonization and moving to amplify the prisoner's voice is who inspire us. So this is something we're constantly growing, it's constantly moving, and it is 
on the inside, having to fight, having to be his voice, because we now have a platform, we have a voice, and we can do it. One thing that I think is really awesome that I've been hearing more and more in the last few years that I've been paying attention to prisoners organizing has been like even folks who are not in immigration facilities, who are in state or federal facilities, who are in county jails, making sure to vocally include ICE facilities and the people that are being detained in ICE facilities as comrades and as people similarly suffering under the carceral state. And I think your references to like decolonization and like naming that some people call this land Turtle Island is an interesting like expansion on the idea of abolition, the recognition that this is stolen land and that the borders are bullshit. So I just wanted to name that right there. I think that's super important. I think that's extremely important to talk about the idea of what abolition is. Like the idea that abolition is more than just these state or federal facilities. Like when we think abolition for a long time, we've always thought about just the prison. But we have to begin to think outside of that. Right now, the prisons are ground zero. This is where it starts. This is what became of the plantation. But we have to remember there are so many different sites and so many different types of institutionalization that it also has to be included in the fight. We talk about these ICE detention centers and these black sites almost, right? That's what these ICE detention centers remind me of, black sites, where they just snatch people up and body snatch them and throw them inside. But another thing that is important that I think folks have to remember and that is not included enough in the idea of abolition or even the carceral state is these so-called mental institutions. These mental institutions have to be included in abolition because it was the colonizers and it was the powers that be that get to choose how people's minds work. And so the idea of ableism is, is such an important thing that, that, that we have to include when it comes to fighting in the fight and in abolition because there's so many arbitrary laws and rules that can take somebody out of society and cancel them and throw them instantly either into the carceral state or start building an environment where they will eventually end up in one of these institutions, whether it's an ICE institution, whether it's a mental institution, or whether it's actually prison. I'd like to explore the idea of abolition a little more, but um, first I was wondering if you could talk about the jailhouse lawyers speak statement that was released on the nationwide prison strike for this year. Can you tell us about it and what y'all are calling for and hoping for and who from? This initiative is shut them down. So you can find it on the JLS WordPress site as well as on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find these links. But what's going on is it's time to reignite the flames of abolition. Right now, we are making a call to any outside organizers, any outside abolition to show solidarity with the inside comrades and just inside folks in general. The idea that it's time to shut them down needs to be a inside-outside work. Abolition doesn't just work one way. It doesn't just work from the outside in, nor does it work from the inside out. This is something that we have to work together on and build community ties with each other. The idea of community is so important right now, especially because of how our community, how our terms, have, how our abolition has been co-opted by this liberal Democrat idea or movement that's going on. 
movement has co-opted all these ideas that need abolition. So I think that this call right now is to relight the fire of abolition. We need to remember what abolition is. We need to not fall into the liberal traps that are going on that are taking our terms like defund, decarcerate, divest, right? Because those terms are starting to mean nothing. Defund has never just meant to take money a little bit from the police. It's always meant to shut down the fascist police system. Divest has always meant to take all of your money out of the prison industrial slave complex. Decarcerate means that to decarcerate, not just nonviolent folks, not just some people, but all people, everyone that's inside. And to get the idea, take this prison industrial slave complex and dismantle it. And so what we're calling for, we're calling for an action, an outside action on August 21st and September 9th. And this action can really just be however you want it to be. You abolitionists want it to be to show that jails or prisons and these protests, you can throw up tables, bean tables at, in our neighborhood, creating these spaces to talk about abolition. Because I'm sure there's so many people in these hoods that are abolitionists that don't even know because they don't even know the terms. So these are things that we have to create. We have to create these spaces to have these conversations. So throwing up zines, throwing up spaces, throwing up tables to panels, panels at institutions, panels at colleges, panels at small city colleges or big universities that think are important. And if you can get any prisoners on, I'm sure that would be able to happen through JLS, through these different people that are inside. I think having prisoners on these panels are very important. I think that we need to make noise. Make the noise we used to make, right? COVID has separated us. COVID has pulled us apart. But COVID has also showed us that so much of these ideas of this so-called American dream or this American experiment is fake. It's false. So I really think that right now, as everyone is getting vaccines and everyone is feeling a little better about moving around, about finding their communities again, I think right now is the time to do this. I think these two days, everyone that's on Twitter that has been talking about abolition can finally meet each other and we can start building and working towards this community to shut down the prison industrial slave complex, to free all of the political prisoners, the rise and the ashes of these partial states, man. And I think it's important. I think it's important to have just anything you can do, anything you can do, drop banner drops, hit, hit some banner drops. Man, banner drops are beautiful, right? But also for folks that don't want to or don't feel they're ready enough to go outside, create these virtual spaces that you now know that are possible. Grab you and 20 of your comrades or 20 of your friends and do some letter writing. Do some letter writing to some political prisoners. Do some letter writing to just prisoners that are in your neighborhoods or communities. Hold each other accountable. Hold each other accountable to create these spaces to fight and to shut them down, to build these communities. One thing that is very important is to build this network from the inside and outside. And I think that's what we need to do. That's what we're calling for. We're calling for the abolitionists to be abolitionists and to step back away from the idea of voting or the idea of reforming type type attitudes that the um, liberal media and the liberal Democrats have. So I think just showing up is important, showing up and doing whatever you can. And there's so many ideas. What I just said was just a small thing. Just a small thing are very important. And you look in your areas for the uh, different IWOCs, the um, incarcerated workers, 
committees. Uh, you can look up the different ABCs, the different Rams. If you're out west, the Oakland Abolitionist Solidarity Crew is, is amazing. In New York, you know, um, I walk in Philly, and these days are so important. These days are so important, and it's a day that we need to relight this match of abolition. This is the Final Star Radio, and you're listening to our conversation with a collective member of the incarcerated organizing platform, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, talking about the call for strikes and protests on the outside this year on August 21st and September 9th, and a call for abolition of prisons on Turtle Island. Yeah, I feel like there was there was so much energy when this summer when everything felt like it was literally on fire around us. And some of we, we lit some of those fires, but it feels like it's a recurring theme that I've noticed throughout my life is that people on the left or left to center or even just centrist or whatever get so can get so aggravated when it's a Republican in office. And that's why the Democrats get away with so much more. Once they get into office, they push through maybe something that's not so brazenly and outspokenly racist, carceral, whatever. But, you know, the the machinery that gets operated no matter which party happens to be in power in the U.S. is the same machinery. It's the same bureaucrats. It's the same three-letter institutions. And all of that energy from this last summer, I, I don't know if it's just the pandemic tiring everyone out or uh, everyone just sort of let out their breath after January 6th or what. But I know that there's a lot of folks out there who, who know that just because brunch can start up again and just because people are getting their vaccines and there's not some orange idiot in the White House that everything's not okay, that there's still growing numbers of, I mean, it's not in a vacuum, but there's like still growing numbers of children that are being put into cages on the border as more people come towards the border to seek seek uh, safety from situations in Central America. But yeah, I, I really appreciate you pointing that out. I think it's really important that people don't forget who is in office. And while they may not be, they may be more acceptable to some of our pallets, you got a top cop and you got one of the constructors of mass incarceration in the United States, right? Yeah, I think that's super important to point out, right? It's easy to point out the orange devil. It's easy to say who the orange devil is, right? Because he wears the color red or because he's a Republican or because of the crazy nonsense and racist statements and, and hate that he's used. However, that's easy to do. The difficult thing is when you have somebody that is taking these dangerous ideas like most happen in this liberal left or in this liberal Democrat idea, they have this way to take these dangerous ideas that we are trying to cultivate and make them less dangerous. And when they do that, when they co-op these things, then it's very, very, I don't know, but it might be more dangerous than going against a blatant enemy, right? So I think it's very important to remember who these people are, who is is Joe Biden, man. He is he, man. He is the writer. You know, he is the architect of mass incarceration of this 1994 crime bill, right? He was the one that started this 85%, that started these three strikes, that started black and brown, like the war on the black and brown, right? Okay, yeah, the war on drugs is one thing, but 
this guy who made it blatant, super predators, who was he talking about? He wasn't talking about, about Amy or, or, or Landon right now, man. He was talking about the black and brown kids, man. That's what they were talking about, kids, when they started bringing up the idea of these super predators. And then we have Kamala Harris, right? Like you said, a blatant cop. She's a cop. She was a district attorney. She was somebody that sent children to prison. She was somebody that sent people to prison constantly, constantly, constantly. So, yeah, this is who that we accepted. This is who, I mean, this is who y'all accepted, right? This is who, this is who we wanted. Like, we wanted the devil in the mask instead of the devil that's just blatant. The, the phrase abolition obviously has a like deep historical weight, and it signifies a lot, as do the dates that were chosen and have been repeated through these last few years of nationwide strikes and protests around incarceration. Would you remind us about the significance of the dates that JLS has chosen to propose and the meaning of Black August to revolutionaries behind bars? Years and years of covering and 
I think it's worth noting also that this is the 50th anniversary of both of those events. The massacres, Governor Rockefeller massacres of prisoners and guards and staff that were being held hostage inside of Attica, as well as the assassination of of uh, George Jackson. So that, that significance definitely definitely is there, and it, it weighs heavy. So the, the protests called for this year also explicitly mentioned political prisoners and the need for them to be free. Over the years, it feels like there's been distinctions drawn in a lot of prison movements around social versus politicized versus political prisoners. Can you talk about the demand to free our aging political prisoners, in particular, like amidst this pandemic and, and so many of them being in their 70s and 80s? There's so many comrades that are inside that have been buried alive in here that we need to fight for their strategic release. I urge people to follow Amend 13. Amend 13 has a vast list of the prisoners inside, of the political prisoners inside. And I, I really want to remind people these ideas of politicized prisoners or political prisoners or prisoners of war. Once we all come inside, we're all prisoners of war. Once they declared a war on these streets, once they declared a war on the drugs, a war on black and brown, a war on poor people, we all became prisoners of war. Once these Jim Crow laws started locking up black and brown people, started creating these policies to lock up poor folks, that's when we all became political prisoners. Now, yes, there are some prisoners that are actually inside because of their work on the outside, and those prisoners... Mia, Maroon, and I mean, I can just keep naming them all, but these prisoners are our inspirations as well. These are who we look up to, but not only them. There are so many prisoners, like I'll talk about George Jackson. George Jackson he was not a political prisoner when he came in, per se, when it comes to these terms, political prisoner, but no one will ever deny that he was a political prisoner today. And I need people to remember that, man, that just because there are certain ideas on politics, on who should be released and who shouldn't be released. Now, everyone should be released, and especially the political prisoners, the people that are suffering from repression constantly because of their ideas, because of their views, because of who they are, because of their skin color, because of the politics. These comrades are taking it next level, taking the pain next level. There's not any days that media has that is an okay day in here. There's not any days that Maroon is chilling, right? So I, I need people to remember that these comrades, these political prisoners, the ones that are being extremely repressed and extremely tortured by the system, I mean, look what they have done to Mumia. Look, they have given them hepatitis C. They have they're given Maroon and him COVID and doom. I mean... He's not around anybody, you know, he's in the shoe. How is he getting COVID, right? How is, he, how is this stuff happening to him if it's not the prison, if it's not the prison crisis, it's not the system killing him, you know? So I think this is very important. I think it's so important to push for the release of these people that should never have been inside. These people that, if anything, should have went in front of some type of Geneva Convention because that's the war that was always being tore upon them. So there's so many people in here, so many people we have to remember. And I want people to see who Joy Powell is, right? 
radical black feminists that are inside, the queer folks that are inside, that get forgotten because of, you know, the numbers. The numbers. There's not that many women prison. So the women revolutionaries get lost. However, I know a few that are suffering just as bad or even worse than the male comrades. So I just want people to go and, and, and look up the radical black feminists that are inside and support them as well. These are voices we don't hear a lot. Your power is who we're hearing from a, a, a lot lately. However, we need more, more, we need more, we need more. Yeah, and I'll definitely make sure to put some um, some contact information for Reverend Joy Powell in the in the show notes for this. The Final Straw is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts, and here's a jingle from another member of CZN. It's going down. All right, so we are listening to an interview um, from uh, the Final Straw podcast, uh, Shut Him Down 2021, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. And, there's, and also, if you go to... Uh, uh, I am W-E-U-B-U-N-T-U dot com. Uh, you can also find more information there, as well as the 2021 Shut Em Down endorsers. And then they also have another um, audio file up there. And actually, let's listen to that one. That would change it up a little bit. And uh, this is about 43 minutes, so we'll play the first few uh, minutes here. Maybe 20 minutes or so. The Spirit of Abolition, Jailhouse Lawyer Speak, calls for shut them down demonstrations. This is not something that people don't know. They're actually being targeted more harder than any other people that are coming from around the world. So this is definitely noticeable. And I just wanted to make sure that was added. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, did you, on the physical mail at all, did you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I do have something on the physical mail myself. Actually, you want to put something on the physical? Okay, right, right now, as it relates to the physical mail, that's a very... Uh, that is also another disturbing thing. You know, the, the federal system, uh, we had one or two comrades reach out recently through their family members and was very concerned about what they was hearing about some of the policies that may be coming down, being crafted around it. What we do know is this, I think it's the Secure Communications. This is a particular upcoming company, and I think you all, you say you all already have it there. I think Florida Trump was initiating one time, but they fought it yeah. back one time before. Yeah, it's called Smart Communications, and it's, it is a company. They're based in Florida. And so what happens is, like, 
if I'm writing a prisoner in PA, I have to send the letter to Florida and then they scan it and email it to the prisoner, basically. Right. And, and if you begin to pay attention, right, what we're actually seeing them move out is in phases. We're seeing prisoners around the country being issued these tablets. And these tablets actually have the ability, you know what I'm saying, to be able to, for them to be able to upload mail to these tablets. You know, I think in some areas they was already talking about photocopying and sending the prisoner to photocopy, something like that. But nonetheless, these tablets also we feel like it's going to have a big play into a lot of the smart communication. But not only on that level, but also visitation. I think we're not going to see traditional visitation come back the way that it was. I think it's going to be, I think it's been way too much money gained on the way they're actually doing visitation right now. So to touch back on the smart communication, very scary thought, very disturbing. We do feel like this is something people need to get on. Actually, we was already talking to one or two organizers out there already about figuring out ways to begin to address this before it hits full steam. So you're going to see us soon begin to address this particular topic and begin to organize around it because it's going to be something that we're going to see spread around the country because it's a moneymaker. And that's what it's about at the end of the day. It's about making money. And they can make all the excuses they want, but this is all it's about at the end of the day is making money. Yeah, I think there's also, I mean, there's also surveillance concerns, I think, too, that are very legitimate around it. Absolutely. Now, see, that's the security part of you that jumped up. Now, the security part of me also knows that as well. <laughs> it is definitely about surveillance. One of the things, too, I, I want to add this here, right, you speak of surveillance, is very recently they had this high-profile case that popped up, and it was dealing with GTL service. And they was talking about how they was able to use the networks of a lot of different options that the prison systems offer around the country and be able to connect certain people and certain information to be able to solve uh, certain cases and things of that nature, right? In this case right here, it was some type of ring, illegal ring that was going on. But it just showed that almost everybody may have somebody that's in these people's system. You see what I'm saying? And it's making it a lot more easier for the state entities as well as the government entities to be able to track conversations, but not only to track conversations, but to spy on people, to be able to gain a hell of a lot more intel, even on things that are not necessarily going on back here, but are going on out there that loved ones or friends are sharing with people back here because they're forced through these certain communication channels to share this particular information. And no matter how secretive they think they may be, these people are figuring out codes, they're figuring out lingo we're using, they're figuring out everything. And so, yes, when you're talking about that, that is definitely another way of being able to monitor us, but not only to monitor us, but to monitor outside people as well as organizations that we may be dealing with on the outside as well. And we can never forget that part right there. A lot of this, when you start talking about security, a lot of this also outside governmental agencies work with prison systems in order to get information on regular citizens out there. And this has to be known. You know, it's not talked about, but people need to know that. You know, this definitely happens. So I just wanted to share that right there with you people that's listening. Yeah, thank you. So you made a change to the 10 demands. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yes, we made a change to the 10 demands related to number nine. Obviously, we was dealing with the Pell Grants on number nine. Number nine has been changed to the immediate release of all political prisoners. Now, at point number nine, although the, all the other points, nine points, 
was a collective around the nation. Point number nine was particularly because it's a JLS organizing platform at this point here. It was something that we made a decision on as a JLS entity, as an organization. And we made that decision because the political prisoners that we actually have in this country today are not necessarily getting the recognition they need to be getting. They haven't really been very well voiced in our movement. They've been voiced in the movement, but not on the level that they need to be voiced on. People need to know that we support, we support, even though I believe all prisoners are to some degree or another political prisoners, but nonetheless, this particular designation, for them, we need to have it, but not only do we need to have it, but we need to work full overtime to bring these elders home. So very recently, we've been working on things on our own platform of connecting with something called Strategic Release. This is something they came up with out at Pelican Bay amongst the California prisoners um, because they didn't feel like their story was getting out. A lot of them was being held in Pelican Bay and other editors Cochrane because of their political beliefs. And they wanted to get their story out and let people know, that, hey, we're political prisoners and we, you know, so we should be treated as such. And the only very recently that they began to bring the strategic release out and began to include the um, other political prisoners as well as other politicized political prisoners around the country that people may not know of. So this is something that we're also working with as well on the strategic release side. But um, once again, we just want people to understand that political prisoners, people need to know who they are in this country. We need to do everything in our power to get these elders home because in some cases, the system has it in their mind to let these individuals die. If you know about Pro, which is all out there now, there's no reason you shouldn't be fighting to get home someone that that you know is a victim of Quarantel Pro. There's absolutely no excuse. I mean, we have all the records. We have all the documents. We have no excuse any longer to sit down on our hands and treat these people as if they are just regular people, you know, and just kind of waiting their time out or waiting for the system to work when it's actually this system that captured them for social containment reasons. You know, this wasn't, you know, I mean, I always tell people prisons for two reasons, economics, you know, uh, uh, social containment. And in this case right here, for them, social containment. So uh, anyway, uh, so that's another, another reason why we did develop and we all voted and agreed through our process to add point number nine. Great. You know, you and I have talked a number of times over the years and you're always, you know, we've talked a lot about abolition. We've talked about the distinction between slavery and prison abolition and where they and where they intersect as well. But I noted that with this particular flyer that you all really called forth the spirit of abolition. And, you know, it just hit me a little bit that as much as I know that you've spoken about this concept over the years, that I think it's more front and center on this flyer about the call than I've seen from you all in the past. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that or wanted to share anything about that and whether you're seeing a need to renew a spirit of abolition? Um, at heart, we feel that it is a, uh, <laughs> that's a very good question because when we were talking about abolition, we were discussing all the different areas of uh, abolitionist work presently and historically. And one of the things that we noted once again was the, it's a lot of confusion in that as well. Let me say that it's just a lot of confusion. But I think one of the things we know is there has to be a renewed fire behind it. And it's just about getting people back centered, like I said earlier, you know. So when we're talking about in the spirit of abolition, we're definitely talking about renewing that fire. We need to renew the fire, renew the conversation. And even if we're not necessarily 
all in agreement on on the definition of abolition, you know, we have to come together and understand at least the root of it and what it means and what we're trying to accomplish by it. You know, we all should have that root together, you know, on what abolition is. And, and this is why we say moving in the spirit of abolition, meaning we're getting back to the roots. This is like one of the first steps you're going to see. We actually have like two more things after this, and I just feel that on your program right now, but this is like the first step to something else that we actually have planned as well in the very near future. But once again, it's definitely about renewing it and taking control and taking control out of the hands of the people that don't want to see this happen. So we have to take control of this, and we're taking control of our own destiny, our own reality, and what abolition means to us. And this is why we say in the spirit of abolition, because this is what all our ancestors moved on. They moved in the spirit of abolition. I love that. One of the things I think, I think we actually introduced it on our show with you all last year, but I know you were working on it last year, was this international law project. I didn't know if you had any updates or any plugs related to that that you all wanted to make. Yes. First of all, actually, it's your program that brought one key student to us, and she's been working out fantastically uh, with assisting us and aiding us. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we just had another a uh, couple of students, law students, um, that they came on board now, um, and uh, their work, she's actually supervising them right now. You know, uh, she's a student, I think she's a student at Harvard, so she was listening to your show, and that's how she ended up finding out about us, and she messaged us, so she, and she, like I say, she just turned out to be a great, perfect for this team right here. We're actually right now drafting up a uh, petition right now to the international community. They're supposed to have something coming up very soon. I want to say it's in April or May, but it's going to be evolving around the 13th Amendment, legalized slavery. We're still trying to pressure the uh, international community to recognize until it's removed out of the Constitution to recognize the United States as practicing legalized slavery and primarily connects all of the disruptions, rebellious acts that have been occurring in the United States prison system since way back, um, even all the way back to Attica and before Attica, as it relates to uh, prison slavery. So that's also a, that's something that we're currently working on now. And there's supposed to be some other issues we're tagging with it, also to recognize COVID as well, the COVID infections that occurred inside this country. So hopefully what we're going to do once it's done, although the very first one we did, we did not really publish it as widely as we did. We, we, we got it before a review panel of the United Nations, but we did not publish it like we should have, and we're going to make sure that now, from now, here on out, whatever we publish and send to the international community, it becomes public knowledge and public information. You know, we want people to know actually what we're doing, how we're organizing on an international level with the international community. There was one more thing I'd like to add, actually maybe two. We're currently in the process, too, of working on what they call a MIOT. It's with the, uh, the U.S. Human Rights Network. They have something that's called a MIOT. And we're going to have a number of, we're going to publish it out soon once we get it established. And we're going to have a number of different organizations that will be able to sign up with this international law project that we're doing under that particular MIOT to be able to take some of these issues to the international community. For those that don't know that's listening, it's the JLS and uh, Mass Incarceration Committee of the NLG. We established JLS International Law Project. We're using the abolitionist framework, you know, and uh, we're doing this. We're alleging international human rights violations on Nelson Mandela by the U.S. prisons to international bodies. Specifically, we're challenging things 
like poor medical confinement, forced slave labor, things of that nature, right? There, you know, and because we're a national organization, we're able to access a little bit more information. And so we're trying to bring all that information together to be able to make a cohesive argument to other bodies outside of the U.S. And the whole thing is also is to bridge our international law project with the international community as well, particularly international prisoners. Right now we're working on solidifying solidarity with some Palestinian prisoners. That's actually in the works right now. We have it. Once we get it done, we'll put out some type of letter on it, but we're actually working on that level as well. So we're, we're not just working domestically. We're also taking this prison movement over here international as well. And that's what it's about. This is a lot of our focus. We have to get this movement where we know it should have been a long time ago before we were stopped dead in our tracks back in the 90s or mid-80s. So we need to try to get this back on track. And that's what it's about. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about is I know you talked a little bit about COVID in the beginning of our discussion, but there's been documented by the Marshall Project, which I don't endorse that site, but at least they documented it. But um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is that there's, you know, over, as we're talking now, over 384,000 cases of COVID-19 that are documented in prisons. They really haven't done documentation from, like, county jails and things like that just because Mm -hmm. they don't want to. (laughs) I mean, not that the Marshall Project doesn't want to necessarily, but the states and the counties don't want to be documenting that information in any kind of systemic fashion, and the federal government's not collecting it in any kind of systemic fashion. So, you know, knowing that it's about half and half in terms of how many people are in prisons versus how many people are in jails across this country, um, you know, you could probably look at going close to double that number. And we also know that there's been a lot of uprisings and a lot of different resistance. I mean, early on in the pandemic, there were a number of escape attempts that were going on. And so I just didn't know if you wanted to speak at all to the resistance maybe that is not being spoken to as much in the public eye. Right. Yes, definitely. One of the things is we know over the past year, since COVID actually hit the prison systems, once again, there was a blind eye and a deaf ear turned to prisoners' concerns. This obviously agitated the prisoners around the country. And a matter of fact, we actually had staff and wardens was trying to, we've heard it in different locations and in, in different states, was trying to go out and talk to the prisoners in ways they've never tried to talk to us before uh, to calm us down, you know, because they recognized one thing, that the way they was treating this pandemic and the way that they was being, in some cases, forced to treat us in some cases, because I think some of these pigs was a little bit put off by their instructions from their superiors on how this was supposed to be handled, you know? So, they came and they spoke to us in ways, but yet they did not calm the tide. So we saw resistance around the country. And this, is, this wasn't organized resistance. This is what I like to call organic resistance that's just developed. And, it was, and it's been still ongoing right now. You know, we've had set downs. We've had destruction of property. We've had prisoners fighting with the pigs around the nation. Uh, we've had them filing lawsuits. Um, the ACLU. Um, really stepped up in a lot of different ways as well with filing uh, lawsuits and winning a lot of lawsuits around the country um, um, as related to getting people out of prisons and getting people out of jail behind the COVID because the prisons are so overcrowded. You know, and this is something we spoke about in our statement. It's so overcrowded that it was always understood 
that the more crowded it is, the more this disease or this 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 this, this infection was going to spread and kill people. You know, and they knew this right here. And um, like I said, it was no remedy. They rarely ever, even when they let go the few thousand that they did, I always said that was just a drop in the bucket. I mean, literally, the people that letting go is only a drop in the bucket. They're they're not really letting go any large number. So even when we say they let go three thousand people, ten thousand people, fifteen thousand, even thirty thousand people, that's still only a drop in the bucket, considering how many prisoners we actually have in this nation. And so I totally agree with you. There was also. We know that there's an undercounting as well, and I and although I know you say that maybe the Marshall Project just maybe just did not have access to information, I say they don't really they wasn't really trying to reach out that far either, you know, because we personally feel like groups like the Marshall Projects would not even like to deal with groups like ours, period, you know, so because of what we stand for and what we represent, and they consider us rebellious, so we don't think they really in you know in sync with what we got going on, what we're trying to have going on as prisoners, but nonetheless, though, with that said. We do want to note that the county jails, like you said, wasn't counted. I think there's been a lot of misinformation put out there from some of these jails and prisons and ICE detention centers, a lot of misinformation. Even now, prisoners was getting sick. Now, and this is something people don't really talk about. It was a lot of prisoners getting sick that didn't even report because they didn't want to go to they didn't want to go through isolation. I mean, I know tons of prisoners, you know, like hundreds of prisoners that was not reporting in, and it was scaring other prisoners. But the other prisoners didn't want to go on lockdown. So these are things that we've been having to deal with. But yes, the resistance has been very strong, been continuous. I don't think, if you really pay attention to the resistance that's been ongoing during this time period, which lets you know the number one issue that prisoners had on their minds, and I know we had it on our minds when we had COVID around here, I called it myself, was dying. Nobody signed up to die. My sentence wasn't to die. You see what I'm saying? You know, But the way they was treating us, Everybody had to feel on some level or another that they leaving us for dead. You know, these prison officials leaving us for dead and also societies actually leaving us for dead. So, you know, this is why you saw so much resistance and it's so little talked about it because I don't think the U.S. itself wanted to look bad. A lot of the local leaders in these different areas, different states, a lot of these national representatives did not want to look bad because they know they really screwed up when it came down to prisoners, and they actually let us die. And one more thing that's very important that I have to always point out is every time a guard came through that gate, we was fearful for our lives, every time. And it didn't matter. Even some of the guards that's talking with us and friendly with us, we was fearful of them, you know, because of what they could be bringing to us. And because we knew everything that they brought in was actually deadly at this point right here, and it still is. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And I was being very generous to the Marshall Project. I can't stand them. So, um. <laughs> right on, right on. Amen. <laughs> right on. Absolutely, absolutely. And one, once, once again, I appreciate you taking the time, you know. You know what I'm saying? I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And I hopefully, uh, I think that myself and some others, we've been speaking about the call to action for the national. Uh, shut them down demos, and there seems to be a little bit of energy out there for it currently. So um, hopefully it will do what it needs to do. Let's put it like this here. We'll see some strong waves put out there, take this thing, or like, or like I like to say, take these sails in the direction they need to go in. So, yeah, I mean, the floor is yours. Are there other topics you all want to touch on? Uh, any, anything you want to add? Anything you want to say? Yeah. 
come right here and say he don't really have anything else to um, add. You know, I did want to remind people that upcoming, you do have a, a couple of things that are out there right now as it relates to some prisoners organizing, ongoing organizing right now. We know that it's the freedom movement right now. They're having a national parole event that will be occurring on um, April the 3rd. We're asking people that if you are in your, uh, well, they're actually asking people if you're in your local, your local state, local county, to support changes to the parole process to get people home, you know, and that's something that's something that's pretty big in the prisons right now too, as it relates to paroles, because there's been a lot of paroles denied. So I can personally definitely uh, agree with that that particular angle there that they are coming from. So we do ask people to pay attention. Also, we ask people to find prisoner-led initiatives. Don't forget, one of the things we're about is trying to center prisoners' voices. And it's very, very important that prisoners remain center and at the lead of their movements. You know, nobody knows this the way that we do. Sometimes it may not necessarily match the way people out there may be thinking it should match up. And we feel for those people that don't think we're expressing things the right way, but it is the reality that we live in. It's the reality that we're living and some of us are actually studying this. And we're not just studying this in one state. We're studying this nationally. And this is why we're trying to organize nationally. And we, so we just actually continue to support prisoners-led initiatives. And that's something we want to put out there. And also, one thing I did want to add, that as it relates to the upcoming shut-em-down demos around the country, if you're trying to get your organization listed as an endorser, please hit us, outthemud.jls at protonmail.com. Jay, I'll give you that information so you can make sure it gets out. And also, if if you're meeting, you're trying to contact us for an interview or anything like that right there, I think it's Media at Incarcerated Workers, which is EWOC's media outlet. We're working with them as it relates to the media. We'll be trying to connect that media to where if someone is doing something locally, let's say if a demo going on in New York, even if we're contacted and we're, if we're contacted about something going on in New York, we're going to try to make sure that who, whoever's holding that event in New York, that that media team is directed towards their area. So we just want to make sure we're clear on that right there as well, unless it's just something that we prisoners have to speak on directly. So that's kind of, I think, all I need to um, add on that right there. I'm just, once again, appreciate you for giving us a platform, Jay. Hey, anytime, anytime, just let me know. It's always a pleasure. All the time. All All right, Jay, it's been an honor and privilege, man. Appreciate you. All right, solidarity. All day. for tuning in um, continuing to listen to this uh, see if we can hear the name of the person that the interviewer was speaking with um, yeah more information at weeklyrev.org